Happy New Year, and welcome back to another episode of Midnight Theology, a podcast of four pastor friends where we talk all things leadership, culture, Christianity, especially as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. My name's Larry, and I'm your host today, and as usual, I'm joined by Adam Penn. Howdy. And Gabe and Sarah are having the month off, maybe a little a little worse for the wear after New Year's. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Adam, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm I'm doing great, man. Uh we had a wonderful Christmas uh with our family. Uh now that we're back here local, which is a change of pace for us, um, we we are able to host. And so the holidays, which used to be exhausting because of travel, have now become exhausting for kind of a different reason, uh, being that we are now hosting family, uh, but it's a good kind of exhausting. You know, it's the the work that comes in preparation and all of that, but it's very life-giving to have our house full of family and, um, you know, just a, a wonderful blessing to uh, have a house full of folks over the holidays and um, then uh, we got a little bit of uh, Midnight Theology Crew quality time over the holidays, uh, which was wonderful. The Franks came up for a visit and uh, the Wanks as well, and uh, we were able to have a little uh, MNT crew reunion. So uh, it's yeah. it's been a wonderful time to refresh and renew. And now I'm back in Florida where it's not cold. Uh, it's, Indeed. It's great. It's great. Indeed. Yes. And I'm still here where it yeah. is cold. <laughs> where it is cold. So. But I, I remember that cold well. And it was, it was, uh, it was good to be uh, around people who make me feel warm. So how's that? <laughs> there um, you go. How about uh, you? First, first Christmas at Grace Church was, was great. It, it was just a different pace um, than I've ever been used to with, um, with three physical campuses and then all of the you know, extra incredible stuff. This, um, this church does, uh, we did a lot around, um, you know, uh, angel tree, helping tree, uh, kind of stuff, uh, taking care of Christmas for families. Um, we, we had what is, um, extreme cold for Florida, uh, right before Christmas, uh, we had the temperature drop down uh, into the low forties, um, uh, a few nights. So, um, we spent, we spent some time down around our central campus, uh, handing out sleeping mats and blankets and, um, just, just doing what we could, uh, with that and, um, had a great advent, uh, sermon series and, um, Christmas Eve was, was, was great. Um, we had this realization, I wasn't around for it, but I was a part of the conversations about it that Christmas Eve last year, probably for a lot of churches, just kind of happened, you know, cause it was like right on the heels of, of COVID. It was the first like normal Christmas. And then for grace church, it was immediately removed from hurricane Ian. So -hmm. it was like Christmas Eve was great, great attendance. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of effort put into it being a reach. Um, Mm. and Christmas Eve is still one of those, uh, times that, that people are still willing to come to church if they're unchurched. So we just put all of our eggs into the basket of making Christmas Eve a reach. Uh, and it started all the way back, um, around Halloween time, we did an outdoor movie night and we started talking about Christmas Eve then, uh, you know, what was the next thing up for, uh, for kids and families, um, and, um, for our special needs ministry. Um, I think my favorite thing that happened, uh, 
this year was we had a Christmas Eve service specifically for um, families that had a person with special needs in their house. Uh, so like sensory friendly, highly interactive, um, didn't broadcast it this year. This was kind of the dress rehearsal. So it was, um, it was people who already participate in exceptional entrepreneurs, um, or our, uh, our respite nights for families with special needs. We call them VIPs. Uh, so it was a VIP, um, Christmas Eve service. And that was just, uh, we're, we're doubling down on that with those, uh, with those, those families. Um, that's and, really cool. Uh, we're just we're we're gearing for for a great year. We're getting ready to host Night to Shine with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Um, uh, one of our pastors is went to uh, Florida, and he is really hoping that Tim Tebow shows up. Uh, but I could really care less if I was going to ask if he would be gracing you with your with his presence. But uh, yeah, I I think we've we've heard an official no. But um, okay, there may be some that are still holding on to hope that he shows up. And I'm like, <laughs> it's an incredible ministry. We don't need Tim Tebow to to show up. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, uh, we're, uh, since it's just the two of us, we're going to, we're going to nerd out on something, uh, today that is, um, uh, something that we're both, uh, pretty passionate about, uh, as we've talked on midnight theology, um, many times you can go through all sorts of episodes, uh, where we have talked about what was the cause of the meteoric rise of the Wesleyan movement. Um, and then kind of what, what led to its decline. Um, so just to recap that, uh, in the, especially as the Methodist church was established in the colonies, um, it was just growing like gangbusters to where at one point, um, post civil war, like one out of every three people in the United States was, was Methodist, um, yeah, and then around 1900, turn of the century, the movement plateaus in America, and then uh, begins to decline. And we've been in decline as a movement ever since. Now, we're still Methodist, um, both of us, uh, Gabe and Sarah too, because we believe that God's not done with this movement. Um, and there are just such incredible pockets where uh, awakening and revival is happening in the Wesleyan stream uh, of the church. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about historically, uh, Adam, is that that thing that was kind of the glue and um, the the furnace for the explosive growth of the the Wesleyan movement was um, the societies and mm-hmm. classes and bands. Um, the meat and, and potatoes and, of the Methodist movement. Absolutely. So like uh, – 100% uh, Wesleyan innovations uh, using things that were really common in England. Societies were a very common thing, um, but then uh, uh, use them as part of the movement. So uh, let's just talk briefly about the historically uh, what was a society, a class, and a band. Please do that for us, Reverend Dr. Frank. Well, I happen to have done some uh, research around this for my really uh, my dissertation. Yeah, how convenient! Uh, I, I, I happen to think that the way forward for us as a movement is by looking back. Uh, Amazing, so, incredible! Yeah, put the method back in Methodism. Oh, um, look at you! So, yeah, so societies were the basic unit of of the movement um, before there were any formal congregations for the Methodist Church when. When Methodists existed as um, as a spiritual order, if you will, within the uh, the Church of England, um, 
so societies uh, were just a gathering of people in a specific area who were just committed to following Jesus together, or even just to consider following Jesus. Um, and it was done within the framework of a discipleship that system that John Wesley uh, laid out. Uh, societies were really large. Um, I mean, larger, they could be as small as 20 or so. They could have as many as a few hundred. Um, and they met together with this simple idea to watch over one another in love, to support one another with prayer and worship and fellowship and spiritual direction. Um, this was the basic unit of, um, uh, of the, of the early, uh, Wesleyan movement. Um, and not, um, not in an instructional way, right? That was one of the things we were talking about before we, um, before we got started. This was about discipleship growth, right? Yeah, and if you want to hear more about the first Methodist society, in case you missed last month's episode, we talk about one of the first meeting houses built for a Methodist society called the New Room. So, right. Um, so there's that 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 stated purpose of watching over one another in love, and and the societies become this kind of incubator for for Methodist discipleship. So you have people that are that are becoming uh, awakened. Um, to God and entering relationship with Jesus through other Wesleyan innovations like field preaching uh, events. And they're being gathered into these societies to be nurtured in the Christian faith and to be offered um, uh, mutual accountability. Membership bar was really low for the societies. The, in fact, the only requirement for society membership was quote, a desire to flee from the wrath to come. So, mm. I mean, that that's pretty low. Low bar. Um, so you 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 hop in there. Um, and, as as and John the, Wesley would say, you have the servile fear within you that uh, you are <laughs> you have offended God and you need help, and uh, you have you have not the faith of a child yet of God. <laughs> so right. yeah, step one. <laughs> Yeah. So societies become this this piece that initially Wesley sees as being subordinate to um, the the in within the existing framework of the Church of England, but they, we also see the society starting to take on the mature markings of church, um, and as there becomes more and more decline within the established Church of England and what others of Wesley's time described the church of England as a fair carcass without a spirit. Um, we see this growth in the Methodist movement and they start to, Wesley sees them as the true visible church within Anglicanism. Like, so he's looking at the societies and he probably wouldn't say that they were their own churches. They're still a part of the church of England, but he would look at what was happening there and go, this is what church is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So anything else on uh, societies? No, I think you covered it pretty well. Just kind of that entry point into a life of discipleship, which went hand in hand with the class meeting, which I, I suppose if there was a front door to the movement, it would have been the class, right? Yeah. So it's interesting, and uh, you can you can run with the classes uh, here in a minute. The, the societies end up kind of being supplanted by classes. Um, mm-hmm. 
as as it grows and then when we whittle that down even farther into bands uh classes kind of get lost in the mix of that too as as bands mm-hmm. really take root but it, it it doesn't mean any of them are wrong it just shows the 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 depth uh of growth in the movement yeah uh, so so let's talk about classes for a minute yeah what what was a class so classes were the smaller unit of the society which in essentially was a smaller group of up to what about a dozen yep. Larry no, no more than a dozen about a dozen people who would meet together um, and ask one another practical questions of the the Christian life really do that watching over one another in Christian love um, such as am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? So Boom. that's question number one of the class meeting. Okay. So, so you can already so, see. So we've when gone was the last this... time you got together with your friends and asked that question? <laughs> Every Monday morning. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Maybe it's different I'm for part you. Of a band. But, but uh, I'm asking our listeners right yeah. now who may not be part of one of these groups. When was the last time you you got together with your friends and asked that question? Right. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. you see that the 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 bar gets a lot higher already yeah. with with mm-hmm. the classes. So just a desire to flee from the wrath to come uh, in the societies. And now as you get into the classes there, there's a lot like you're convinced you're awakened. You're on this walk of following Jesus. Now you have to watch over one another, um, with love. Yeah. It's this active discussion of, of the state of their current relationship with God and, and, and how they're living that out, how they're not living that out. I mean, this is in your face, uh, discipleship that, uh, Francis Asbury and Thomas Koch as the, the first general superintendents, first bishops of the Methodist church in America, they, they called the class meetings, the universities, uh, for the ministry. Like the whole thing rises and falls on the class meeting, uh, mm-hmm. for them. Uh, also important to point out with the class meetings, uh, there these are mixed gender uh, in yeah. the in the early Methodist movement, and men and women alike share in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, so that was that was a huge piece in the in the early days of the the Wesleyan movement. Yeah, absolutely. And the the questions, which if you Google Wesley's class meeting questions, and I could probably drop a link in in the show notes too, but like the the questions were crafted so as to accommodate mixed gender groups um, mm-hmm. to where you weren't digging in extremely deep to one another's lives. Uh, but it was at least centered around what do my practices of discipleship actually look like? Let's let's cut the generalities, um, cut the pretense, and really get down to the brass tacks of the Christian life and how I'm actually ordering my life uh, around Christ. Uh, and and that was kind of the focus of the class meeting. So I'll, mm-hmm. again, I'll, I'll drop a, a link to those questions. There are twenty one questions uh, that the class meetings would ask one another. I'll, I'll drop a, a link to those in, in the the uh, show notes. Okay, and, and then we 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 go down another level uh, yeah. here into a deeper small small group discipleship for serious believers uh, mm-hmm. called the band meeting. Now uh, we talked about new room in the last. Uh, podcast, the New Room Conference. Um, do you remember? I, I I know you were there, Adam. Uh, it was you and our friend Casey and I, um, and we were at New Room. And the schedule 
just says that after dinner is the George A. Savito band. And like none of us <laughs> knew George yet. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and we were like, oh my God, George A. Savito's in a band. Can this guy get any cooler? Like, so we like <laughs> rush back from dinner to hear George's band. And then it's like, it's just his covenant group up there answering questions. And we're like, this is baloney. Where's the music? <laughs> So, Where's the band at? That's right. Yeah, so so yeah. we need to define the band because we, we, three men with seminary degrees were led to believe that George Acevedo is in a band. And he is not. I mean, he maybe is, he is and we don't know about it, but to my knowledge, he is not. He's not. Poppy, if you're listening, <laughs> you should not join a band in retirement. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not your thing. I wouldn't so, be mad, George. It's okay. <laughs> suck up. Uh, <laughs> so the, the band meeting really is, is this arena of small group discipleship for really serious believers, um, divided up by gender. So there's a break from the class meeting, um, even divided by age, uh, or marital status, um, and smaller than the class meeting. Um, like these are, these are very small, Mm-hmm. Um, groups that of people who are very serious about their uh, their faith, and they go beyond even beyond um, some of the hard questions of the class meeting, uh, and they're like actually like confessing known sin to one another, and able to um, really pry into um, to to those things to in order to grow in holiness they're they're naming these these places of their deepest brokenness and how they see God moving in that brokenness and how they're breaking uh, seeing the holy spirit break the sin's power over their life um as they move on to um move on to perfection uh so the classes and bands become the engine of the methodist movement the, I, I i truly believe that the entire movement would have crumbled uh, without the well, class, never would have taken bands. off in the first place. Yeah, I mean, and it's, um, I, I think it's in my dissertation somewhere. But there's this this famous quote from George Whitfield uh, on his on his deathbed, and he's he's the one that invited Wesley to step into field preaching in the first place, uh, and then and he had tens of thousands of people coming to hear him preach, but he's laying on his deathbed and he's so filled with regret that his, his movement didn't take off the way that Wesley's did. Uh, and he said that, that he neglected to do what Wesley had done because Wesley took those who were joint, who were converted under his, his preaching and joined them into classes and bands and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. I'm paraphrasing. He said, but then he said this, I neglected to do and my people Mm. are a rope of sand. Wow. Yeah. And, and Whitfield's still uh, remembered as a great preacher. Yeah. I mean, but, but the people, where are the people who are part of the movement? Where, Where were the, thousands that gathered to listen to him preach. Yeah. Yeah. And they did. I mean, by the thousands, they came to listen to him preach, but it Mm -hmm. it ended there. Yep. Whereas now you have Methodist churches dotting every single small rural town across the United States of America, which Mm -hmm. we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. And and around the world. But that's the fruit, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, And around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Wesley came to believe so strongly in the classes and bands that even he believed that the whole movement would crumble without them. Um, 
I want to share this quote from a a plain account of Christian perfection um, where he says, if you want to move on towards perfection, you should, quote, never omit meeting your class or band, never absent yourself from any public meeting. These are the very sinews of our society. And whatever Mm. weakens or tends to weaken our regard for these or our exactness in attending them strikes at the very root of our community. So if you're not serious about your your class or your band, then this whole movement's going to fall apart. Yeah, to the point where they even enforce that, uh, where they would, if you were part of a band and you did not display fruit of repentance in your life, in other words, uh, you did not uh, display a desire to truly turn from your sin and and stop. Uh, the behavior that was destructive to your life and to your relationship with God, uh, they would boot you from a band. They would they would put you in a penitent, what they called a penitent band. Oh, um, snap! Yeah, uh, to to get back on track. Uh, they took it that seriously. Um, it, they they weren't messing around uh, with uh, what it meant uh, to be a Christian and, and how we hold one another to account. I found the the Whitfield quote while you were talking. It, it comes from an 1859 biography of Adam Clark, who was actually one of Wesley's preachers. Um, but he was quoted to say, the fruit of Mr. Whitfield's labor died with himself. Mr. Wesley's remains mm. and multiplies. It further recounts Boom. a conversation that Whitfield famously had with a man named John Poole, where Whitfield confessed, my brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. This I neglected and my people are a rope of sand. Yes. Like, like it, the, the field preaching and he was the better preacher than Wesley. There's, there's no no debate about that. Nope. Uh, many more people came to hear Whitfield preach, but like I said, wh- where's where's his followers? Uh, they they became a rope of sand. Yep. Um. So so th- this became the 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 primary structure of Methodism: the class meeting, the band meeting. It was designed to keep every single person connected to the rest of the movement and growing in their discipleship, and to make sure that. Uh, that everyone was doing everything that they could to cooperate with the grace that God had given them. And it also served to make sure that nobody was being forgotten or left behind uh, yeah. in the movement. Like we're all on this journey together. Mm-hmm. So you, the, the Methodist church in America is established and it is actually a requirement to be a member of a local Methodist congregation that you participate in a class meeting. It, it doesn't necessarily have to go as deep as, as a band meeting, but the, yep. the class meeting is is that piece. It is a requirement for membership. It, Which, it, again, we, we read one of the class meeting questions. Um, here's, here's another one. Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? That's another <laughs> class meeting question. Right? People are gonna stop listening to the podcast. They're like, like, we don't want to be asked those questions. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. so so when, you know, when was the last time you, you had a conversation like that with your friends or or your Christian brothers or sisters? You know, people at your church. Right. Yeah. So um but it was this sort of Christian accountability uh that inspired a movement that sustained itself in the United States 
and and not only sustained itself, but but grew rapidly to one of the largest Christian denominations in the United States until they removed the requirement. Which we said on the last podcast, and I don't, I haven't verified it. Um, I should have before this one. But I think it was the General Conference in 1900. Um, mm-hmm. So right, if not there, somewhere right around the turn of the century, removed the class meeting as a requirement for membership. So they lowered the bar for for becoming a member of a local church. Yeah, and, and you can look um, it up and correct us if we're wrong yeah. on the date. Immediately, the movement plateaued. Yep, and then began to decline, and 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 so that that was the the first domino to fall. Um, in that. And then you have a bunch of other stuff that we can get into with the professionalization of clergy and, um, and all that, which we will in a minute. Yeah. It it just begins to drag the whole movement, um, down, um, to where we kind of just became a face in the crowd. Yeah. Of, you know, what is distinct about, the, the Methodist church you attend from the Baptist church up the street. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we became one of a handful of declining mainline denominations that marked the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the entire 20th century, was the institutionalization of mainline denominations that were all declining. And we were just one among a few. So we have the circuit rider piece going where um, you might have one professional clergy person to, you know, 20, 30 different churches. Um, but then we kind of got this attitude of, well, the Presbyterians get their own pastor. Why can't we? It's like when, you know, the Old Testament, they cry out to God. Everyone else has a king. Why can't we? Um, <laughs> so th- that's what that's what happens. And, and I think and, and you think that. The, prof- the professionalization of clergy is directly related to the decline of the, the class and band meeting. Yes. So say more about that. Yeah, mainly because the class and band meeting were at their heart and, and by design lay led. There was no other way. If you were a leader of a band you may well let's just talk about the united states because they structured it a little bit differently in the united states if if you were a methodist in the us you as a leader of a band may have a relationship with your circuit rider who would be checking in with you to get reports from the people who you were watching over in christian love mm-hmm. right uh, or or a band if if you were part part of a i'm sorry or a class if you're part of a class or a band you'd be reporting to your circuit rider uh, to give reports about the people you were watching over in Christian love. So you were essentially doing the shepherding and the teaching while the circuit rider in the U.S. was doing the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic ministry. Mm-hmm. So let's think about the fivefold ministry of the church that we find in Ephesians 4, that uh, it is God who gave some to be, or Christ who gave some to be apostles, to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are the five kind of offices of ministry in the church. So you had your lay people doing the shepherding and teaching. You had your circuit riders doing the apostolic, prophetic, mm-hmm. and evangelistic ministry. What we essentially did over time is took that model and flipped it on its head, and we uh-huh. made the pastors the shepherds and teachers. They ceased mm-hmm. to be 
apostles who build up the church, prophets who basically speak the truth about the current situation we find ourselves in as a people, Mm -hmm. and the evangelists who spread the gospel of Christ. Okay, so so the, the, those are the three offices that essentially have been neglected now for over a century, and we have instead converted clergy to no more than shepherds who watch over their people and teachers, which we'll talk a little bit more about what a teacher even is in a minute, but shepherds and teachers who essentially watch over and care for the flock uh, that they tend to which there is some value in that, but if the laity are not involved in that and it's only your paid clergy, what it ends up creating is this patronizing system of uh, ministry that is growth stunting amongst the laity. Because what it does is it tells the laity that they can't do anything for each other. And that they need a pastor to do it. Am I am I on track here, Larry? Yeah, you're on it. And I think theological education has has fully embraced that as well. I mean, like, I feel like we were trained in seminary to be shepherd teachers. A hundred percent. One hundred twentieth century model of ministry. And uniquely twentieth uh, century and American. It's one of the things that I find myself saying to emerging leaders over and over, whether they are ministry leaders who are lay people or happen to be pastors, is that the church we were trained to lead does not exist. No. That we are back on the frontier. That's right. (laughs) We're back on the frontier. And the favorable position that the church once enjoyed in society no longer exists. Constantinian Christianity is crumbling at our feet. Um, and we're, we're set up to be shepherd teachers. Um, and some of us are truly gifted that way. I mean, my, my, my giftings tend to be towards shepherding and teaching. Um, but I say, always say I have some ape tendencies. Um, but I, I lead from the center to the edge. People who are, who are more apostolic and their giftings lead from the edge toward the center mm-hmm. on the opposite. But I had a conversation with, uh, a young leader at Grace Church recently who's just, you know, trying to figure out their own call and and place in ministry and was explaining the the apostle prophets evangelist and I said you're a full on ape and the biggest mistake I could make as a shepherd teacher is to domesticate you. Mm. Um and and that's what we've done in the church. The we we've we've domesticated the apes to where we just have this one class of shepherd teacher. Yeah. Um and if it, if if it if the pastor doesn't make it happen, it's it's not going to happen. And yeah. we've we have cut off the the legs of of our movement, um, not just our movement as Wesleyans, but of the entire movement of Jesus um, by not living more fully into the priesthood of all believers in that way, which was something that Wesley did particularly well. So I guess if you're a layperson and not a clergy person listening to this podcast, accept our apology on our behalf as clergy, um, that uh, this has been what you have accust- uh, grown accustomed to um, probably throughout the entire course of your life. Um, so let's go back to Ephesians 4.11 um, and read uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, so Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. That's verse 11. 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So so not just the pastors. Not just the pastors. All. All of us. All of us. And all of us together. There's mutuality. There's accountability. And that, that's and, right. And that's the whole Wesleyan movement. There's, there's a Latin phrase that, that, that quips, who watches over the watchman? Yeah. We all do. Yeah. I need accountability. It, it takes a village. I, I need accountability from the people that I'm entrusted to lead. Sure. They need accountability from me. We we need those those systems in place, and, and I think we're we're experiencing uh, the uh, these death pangs of cultural Christianity in that everything has been so shepherd teacher oriented that we've developed this attractional church model where we get butts in the pews. We've really lowered the bar for what it takes to be a member or a partner in a church. So we we've lowered that bar, and we are. Uh, really good at attractional ministry, but it doesn't work anymore. And you can find the best rock star preacher on the face of the planet who can draw the crowds and get the butts and get the bucks. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what sustainable fruit is produced from that is the question. So when when I first started um, the conversation about coming to, to Grace Church, um, one of the things I heard George say was that, and, and I've seen it to be true now um, since I've been here, is that Grace Church does attractional uh, ministry better than we've ever done it before. Maybe better than any church I've ever seen. Like Sunday mornings are killer at all three of our mm-hmm. campuses, done to excellence uh, in, in contextually healthy ways. But we have less and less results than we've ever had before. Mm. Yeah. But what we're noticing is there is a hunger for the deeper things of discipleship. Uh, so uh, the Cape Coral campus recently hosted uh, the prayer course, which was part of John Mark, John Mark Comer's group, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. Um, and they had to close registration on it. It, it was it was getting too full. Wow. <laughs> like 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 people wanting to learn to pray. We, yeah. we have we have failed church <laughs> when wow. when we're just we're coming in we're going to sit in the pews we're going to listen to the professional uh, expound on scripture we're going to receive the sacraments and we're going to go home about our lives yeah when there's so much more and, and so mm. we're noticing this this deep hunger for more I want to go deeper and so where where things have been shifting for us is this hunger for deeper discipleship with things like the prayer course, but like emotionally healthy spirituality. We've done a lot of stuff around Pete Scazzaro stuff. Like the sitting in the pew has not, has not healed my childhood traumas is what we're hearing from people. Mm. So, so what are we going to do to go deeper into what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus? Yeah. And, and that's, so that's what we're, we're trying to double down on. I think that's what a recapturing of all of this for the Methodist movement looks like is we want, we want more disciples. Yeah. But we also want more mature disciples. Yeah. And and that's what Wesley was tapping into. Um, so I think, 
I think a a modern recovery of the class meeting and band meeting is essential for um, the the rebirth of the Methodist movement in whatever context that is. You know, United Methodist, Global Methodists, those who are in independence, all of the other Wesleyan branches. This is true for all of us. Hundred percent. So we're seeing this pop up in in some places in really healthy and innovative ways of, of what makes this work in different contexts. Um, Adam, you've done incredible work around this for, uh, for Morton church and you guys have had some success, uh, uh, with this. So why don't you tell us how you guys are reimagining, uh, this for 2024? Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, what we're doing is nothing new. And for that matter, I want to pause for a second before I jump into what we're doing here and say that what Wesley was doing, uh, was nothing new. Sure. You know, Wesley was simply seeking uh, to embody a life of discipleship that was informed by Scripture and the great tradition of the church and the church fathers and mothers who have had gone before him who had incorporated what is referred to often as a, a rule of life which is nothing more than getting specific about what should my life look like if I am truly following Jesus, and how can I walk with my brothers and sisters in Christ towards that end, right, Um, of holiness of heart and life in relationship with uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christians have been doing that for centuries. So what Wesley was doing was really reclaiming the heart of the Christian faith um, that has been passed down from generation to generation. He wasn't innovating. He w- he didn't have a flashy new thing that he would write a book about and replicate and then go speak at a conference and try to sell books. Um, that was not Wesley's MO. Uh, the, the books Wesley did sell, he gave all his money away uh, because he was part of one of these groups that was holding him accountable about his use of money. Um, and... So let's let's just talk about what these groups are and, and what they do, and how at least uh, we've kind of re envisioned them here for the 21st century uh, in uh, Morton, Illinois. Um, so basically, uh, what we have have done here is adapt Wesley's general rules uh, for the 21st century, which are centered around three core rules, which are do no harm do good, and attend to your relationship with God. And those are kind of headings uh, for three categories of rules of life, Um, the first of which, do no harm, has to do with your own soul. So how how am I doing or not doing harm to my own soul uh, by the practices I am embodying in my life? So let me give you a few examples here. Uh, First of all... um, Using the Lord's name in vain, which I, I believe goes beyond the language we use and uh, goes to the ways in which we assume upon God in our lives. Um, let's let's do another one. Uh, doing what we know is not for the glory of God, such as wearing costly apparel for attention, spending time on diversions that do not glorify Jesus, consuming content that does not lend to the knowledge or love of God, right? Um, 
hello. <laughs> now again, these are these are nothing new. All we did was was take Wesley's general rules and modernize the language to make them more applicable to the 21st century. Uh, but you can already see how you know these these are sorts of practices that still shape us um, and that that are still applicable to the 21st century. Um, do good. This is second subheading. Um, do good is has to do with uh, what I am doing in my life to share the love of Christ with the others around me. So uh, do good by being merciful in every possible way, using every opportunity to do good to others, um, to their bodies, by giving food to the hungry, by helping clothe the naked, visiting, helping the sick and imprisoned, uh, to others' souls, by instructing, reproving, or exhorting uh, all God puts in our path. So you can very much see how this do good rule is outward reaching. So so if you think about uh, do no harm is inward, do good is outward. And then the third, attend to your relationship with God, is upward. So how am I attending to uh, my relationship with God and using the means of grace that God has given me to uh, have a relationship with him, such as the public worship of God, sitting under the preaching and teaching of the word, the supper of the Lord, right? Those sorts of ordinary means that God has given us to have a relationship with him. So all of these taken together form a rule of life of sorts that people can get together and discuss with one another, how are we doing in these areas? So basically what... Um, what some have done so far uh, in the 21st century to try to revive this method of discipleship has been to take some of the accountability questions that these groups of three to five people would ask one another, like what sins have you committed and stuff like that. What, what we're doing is basically attempting to build on that um, by saying, okay, on, on top of asking one another accountability questions, let's really drill down and get specific by using Wesley's general rules on how we are living as followers of Jesus and get really specific on how we're ordering our lives together. So, for example, the directing pastor and I at the church I'm serving have begun to meet weekly to discuss just those things. Um, and really attend to that that rule of life that we're holding one another accountable to. And then we've asked our people to do the same. And so we've got currently about 50 or 60 people uh, who are meeting on either a weekly, bi-monthly, or monthly basis uh, to ask these things of one another and to really get specific about um, what a life of following Jesus looks like. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, Larry, I don't know if you got any thoughts on that or, um, I, I think it's great. And I, I think it, it has to be contextually relevant. You sure. Know, what, what fits a context like John Mark Comer is, uh, out at, um, uh, Bridgetown church. I think is the name of their church. They're reorganizing their entire ministry around individual members of their church, writing a rule of life. Yeah. And they've their got a whole is- tool online, uh, that helps you write a rule of life. Yeah, for uh, practicing the way, right? Um, yeah. So, but th- they they're saying if you're going to be a member of our church, you have to have a rule of life. And I'm mm-hmm. going. There's your deeper discipleship. What you guys are doing with groups, um, w- we through at, at Grace Church through uh, SLI Spiritual Leadership Incorporated, uh, all of our leaders have done what's called a PDP, a, a personal development plan. 
where we we put you know these are things that that we're going to focus on for the next six months um, and how we're going to accomplish them. And we have a vision through our lead pastor Wes of turning that into personal discipleship plans in the same mm. vein as Bridgetown Church, where every member of Grace Church would eventually write their own personal discipleship plan. Like, this is how I'm going to attend to my relationship with God, uh, inward, outward, upward, um, and, and and how we put accountability into place around that. Um, yeah. and I, I think it's kind of the secret sauce of... Uh, the teams-based ministry we do is that everything starts from this kind of watching over one another in love. Like on on Thursdays, I sit down with our lead pastor, um, and we don't jump right into you know what's going on at my campus or what's happening with this area. It's how is it with your soul? Um, yeah, you said you were struggling with this. You know how how's that going? Have you followed through on this? You know, like. Mm-hmm. That that kind of intentionality, um, and we're we're trying to spill that out into into our uh, the everyday workings of of our church, and it's just um, one as a staff person, uh, as a pastor on the team, I've never felt more cared for. Number mm-hmm. one, like the the people that I'm in covenant relationship with are truly vested in my relationship with Jesus. Yeah, uh, and they care about my relationship with my spouse and my kids, and if I'm taking care of myself, because those are all expressions of my discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus. Um, so we're we're just we're just trying to double down on that, and and I think we're seeing that hunger all over the place where people are done playing church. Yeah, uh, they 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 want something something deeper, like uh, the the whole evangelism culture when we were in, in middle school and in high school was, you know, your get out of hell free card. Yeah. Um, like, okay, great. You're saved from hell. Now what? I'm going to put that card in my back pocket and need it when I'm 85 years old, mm-hmm. you know, a- unless the evangelist was right. And I get hit by a bus on my way home tonight. That's always possible too. <laughs> um, yeah. But what does being in a relationship with Jesus mean now? Mm-hmm. What difference does the inbreaking of God's kingdom make in my life right now? And yeah. part of the way we discover that is through through mutuality and accountability. Yeah. And you know, so we trying to develop this intentional awareness of God's presence and how God is speaking and moving and 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 correcting and you know, uh that's that's all part of it um together and if if you're listening and you're hearing some of the questions that Adam has read off and you're thinking that's, uh, that's too in depth. I don't know that I trust anyone to, to answer those. It just, it takes time and yeah, time builds trust and then time and trust together brings about transformation. Like yeah. I, and I, that's, I've that's been, seedbeds thing with their yeah. bands, you know, time plus trust equals transformation. Yeah. And it's, it is absolutely true. My, my covenant group, um, group of pastors that I have been with very consistently for a little over a decade now. Uh, we, we ask these questions uh, right now. We meet on Monday mornings, uh, on zoom cause I'm in Florida. Um, and these are the questions we ask each other and we ask them even when we didn't trust each other enough to answer them fully. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the day that we hit that trust level. Uh, one of the questions was asked and there was an honest answer given uh, about, about a secret struggle. 
And I remember looking around the circle. We were sitting in one of the guys' backyard and went, okay, we're here now. We're, we're here. We, we trust each other with this. Um, you know, and it's, you know, the, the, those are guys that, that I would trust my life to. Um, yeah. And it, because I'm trusting my, my life with Jesus to them. <laughs> Amen. You know that 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 they're they're going to ask me, um, you know, are you following through on this? You know, mm-hmm. and it it was one of those. And uh, Casey, who was with us at New Room that year, he's in my covenant group, and I remember we were texting as we listened to George's band talk, and yeah. part of what we were texting back and forth was, "Will our group ever get to this point?" Hmm. Um, because I, one of the things was one of the guys in George's group confessed that, that he had struggled with pornography. Um, so the rest of the group knew that mm-hmm. and they never beat him over the head about it. But when he was traveling or speaking somewhere and was in a hotel room by himself, they all knew that. Yeah. So his covenant brothers are texting him going, what are you watching right now? Yeah. And just knowing they were going to do that helped him to flee from that temptation. Sure. You know, so that that's that's the beauty of this whole thing is who watches over the watchman? We all do. The, yep. This is mutual accountability, and we're we're all reaching full maturity in Him uh, together. Clergy, laity, all of us together doing this, and I I think people are hungry for it. And if you're listening, and that's something you want, find a group like that. If you don't have a group like that available to you. We're, we'll post some resources with this to help you start a group like that. Um, I'll even, it, you know what, I'll, I'll drop a link to the method group guide that we use, which is basically the a band guide uh, yeah. that we use here uh, at Mort Methodist Church. I'd be happy, whether you're lady or clergy uh, listening, uh, if you want to utilize this at your church, please feel free. Um, no copyrights in the kingdom, right, buddy? Heck no. Yeah, no, we we have no claim over that. Again, I'm not even doing anything original. I'm just right. adapting, you know, what Wesley did to the 21st century. So, uh, and please. Wesley did what, the, like you said, Wesley did what the church fathers, early church fathers did. Exactly. And he did what Jesus did. Jesus exactly. gathered to himself a ragtag group of, of Talmudim, the Hebrew word for followers, and said, let's do life together. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that that's that's all we're suggesting here. Yeah, and uh, I I think that's where the hunger lies, but it's also where the greatest potential, um, for for the 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 spread of our movement again for um for the honor and fame of God's kingdom in the West will be when Christians get serious about this and not just cultural Christians who you know butts in the pew, bucks in the box. Hundred percent. And one more thing I'll say, uh, if you are still skeptical of this notion of sitting with a group of people that you may not know super well and going this deeply into your life, or even if you know them super well and you're like, I've never, I don't even have a best friend. I don't even have a spouse that I have these kind of conversations with. Um, but something about this has touched a, a nerve in you. Mm-hmm. I'll share a, a story about a men's retreat we did at the church where we made this method of discipleship the focus of that. And so we basically, we we shared the same thing with them over the course of a weekend that we just shared with you over the last hour. And one of the guys there said, 
you know what? Um, I, I've got my Sunday school class. We've known each other for years. I feel like, you know, we, we share deeply enough with one another and I just don't know how I feel about this whole notion of, of sitting around a a table with people confessing my sins. Um, and so he was, he was probably one of our top skeptics of the weekend. He pretty openly shared that. But then we had a point in the weekend where we actually we handed the people the flyer that I'll, I'll drop the, the link to in the show notes here. And we had them sit around tables and do this process together of asking one another these, these kind of uh, question, accountability questions, watching over one another in Christian love. And after one single session of uh, sitting around a table with guys on the weekend who he may not have been that close with in the first place and the depth of sharing they did in that one session, he did a complete 180. Wow. He said, he said, you know what? <laughs> I'll, I'll go from being your, your top skeptic to your top advocate. And uh, he, he's still in a method group right now or in a band. We, we call them method groups, but mm-hmm. he's still in a band right now. And um, we, uh, uh, you know he he's one of our one of our top uh, spokespersons for hey <laughs> I, I I was not the type of person who thought that I ever needed this sort of thing and now I found that I I can't really do without it yeah. um, and so that's really the the power of this kind of uh, way of being the church truly being the church um, mm-hmm. and watching over one another in Christian love taking on that responsibility of the shepherd teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we mentioned that we were going to get back to this this notion of teaching. One of the ways that we've conceived of what it means to be a teacher, at least in the 20th and 21st centuries, is the sage on the stage. The, the person who stands mm-hmm. up in front with all the knowledge and imparts it to the uh, listener in the seat who is avidly taking notes. How did Jesus conceive of being a teacher? Was he a sage on the stage? I'm sure that he had wonderful teachings, and and the the Gospels are evidence of that. But at the same time, the way he truly taught his apostles and the group of people closest to him was to take them and do life with them, Mm -hmm. to journey with them, to to live together. And that example-based teaching was the greatest teaching that he could have done. And that's really the kind of teaching that these sorts of, of accountability groups are centered around is when we get serious about following Jesus together and learn from one another's example, mm. learn from one another's stories, gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ, share the stories of how you've seen Jesus working in your life and learn from one another. That's a whole say, different way of teaching. Honestly, it, it gets really addictive after a while, like when you 100%. truly live in the community in that way, like I can't do the Christian life any other way now. Nope. Nope. Like, I, so and it, I won't. So it's I not, just right my co- it. it's not just my covenant group anymore. Like we've done that together for a long time now, Yeah, but it's also the pastors that I'm on staff with that, yep. that we're accountable to one another and ask each other those questions. My, my counselor asked me those kind of questions. Because uh, mm-hmm. she she's a follower of Jesus, uh, you and I have have prodded each other and corrected one another and held one another accountable to the Christian life. That it's I won't do it any other way. Hundred uh, percent. And it, it's it's ter- it's terribly addictive. Uh, like I, I need <laughs> that kind of accountability, and especially when you know that it's watching over one another in love. 
If I yeah. ca- if I call you out on something, you know that I'm doing it from love. We have that 100%. kind of relationship with one another that I'm not attacking you. I'm not trying to one up you, whatever. And I know the same. And I know that with my covenant group. And I know that with the pastors that I work with, that the, the ego is emptied out of it. And we just want each other to be the best follower of Jesus that we can. Yes. You know, what, what's it, what's it look like for me to fully live into my identity as, as Jesus's kid. And yes. the best way to do that is, is through mutual accountability. Yep. So, uh, that's, that's, that's a lot that we've thrown at uh, people. And I, I, I warned you all that Adam and I were going to nerd out on this. Um, we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we done I did it. Sa- <laughs> Sarah always calls you the resident historian. Uh, <laughs> and, um, we, we both done did went there and, uh, and, and, and did that, we're, but we're, we're serious. Um, it's absolutely, uh, worth being a part of. We'd love to help It'll change you. your life. Um, yes. Uh, and yes, change your relationship with yourself, with others, uh, and more importantly with Jesus. Uh, and if there's any way that we could help, um, you to, to start or uh, improve groups that you're a part of, please let us know. We're not experts by any means. Um, we're just, we're on this journey, um, as well. So, uh, this is going to kind of lead us into, uh, our, our next couple of conversations. Uh, we are, uh, passionate Wesleyan Christians, uh, on this podcast. Uh, and we have shared before about things that were, um, you know, what was going on in the United Methodist church. Uh, I now find myself on, on the outside of that. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of change, uh, happening in our group around that. And uh, there's all these different branches and who gets to claim to be the most Methodist. And, uh, so next month we're going to start talking about what actually is a Methodist. Uh, and this is a big part of it. The classes and bands, um, but we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit around what's the distinct theological contributions of the Wesleyan movement and and who can actually call themselves a Methodist um, in this this new day for for the people called Methodist with everything that's happened. We're we're at we're, we we have no desire to be a part of any dramatic political conversations of what what's happened in denominations or former denominations. Uh, we're looking forward. Uh, to to what what can be again in the Methodist movement, and it sounds cliche, but as I look over the landscape, as I look at people that I've come into relationship with through World Methodist Evangelism, uh, I I believe that our movement can be phenomenally great again, uh, and I believe truly that the best days for the people called Methodists are still yet still yet to come. So that's where where we're going to be headed uh, next week or next month. Gosh, we can't do this weekly. We can barely pull ourselves together <laughs> monthly uh, to do this. It's it's a podcast about midnight, guys. Like we can't do this uh, all the time. <laughs> we're, we're old. We have kids. Like there's there's not a lot of midnights left for us uh, anymore. <laughs> so uh, until then, I uh, hope you're uh, off to a great start in this new year, and that God uh, brings you all sorts of light into darkness, and that your midnights become daytimes full of possibility with Jesus at the head as you find ways to practice this type of accountability with one another and spur one another on and watch over one another in love. See you next time.